1: Hello, good morning and welcome to the Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on Casey Law. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours of music, chat and all around fun and good humour to get your Saturday underway. This morning on The Bottom Line, with the Ryder Cup getting underway in the coming days, we check in with carlo based business establishing itself as a global presence in the golf equipment market. As concerts and live performance begin again after 18 months of closure and agony for musicians and all in the music industry, we talk to Niall Stokes, editor of Irish Music Industry Bible Hot Press, about the industry and about how Hot Press, KCLR and 20 other, 24 even other radio stations around the country are teaming up for irish music month and i'll be talking to brian butler of Ormond School of Motoring about their business and about a growing shortage of truck drivers, already a crisis in the UK, as we've heard before on this programme, and which Brian says Ireland needs to look out for as well. But first, mid-September is ploughing championship time, when before COVID, the attention of almost the entire country would turn to the business of farming and agri for almost an entire, depending on the year, mud-soaked or sun-baked or dust-covered couple of days... So, in the absence of the usual huge ploughing event, we thought it would be a nice idea to invite Helen Carroll, proud Kilkenny woman and certainly one of Ireland's best-known faces and voices in the coverage of all things farming, agri and agribusiness related into the studio. We talked about agribusiness, the gap left by another year with no ploughing championships as we'd come to know and get used to, and hopefully how things are starting to get back to normal. But we started by discussing how COVID has been for her and... her work on Ear to the Ground, RTE's hugely popular farming and rural affairs programme.
0: Ear to the Ground stayed working and visited farms um, around the country and in an awful lot of farms. What was going on behind the farm gate was the same thing that was going on behind the farm gate pre-COVID. And one thing that we did notice was um, for a lot of food producers, their main customer might have been the, the food service industry. So once restaurants shut down, they had to find something else to do with their products. And they're an incredibly um, adaptable uh, group of workers, farmers and uh, inventive and innovative. So they had to find new ways of selling their products. And we became, as a nation, I suppose we weren't eating out anymore. Our only trip of the week was to the supermarket. And there was much more emphasis on food and good food and local food and healthy food. so, farmers had to find a way of getting direct to the customers and we had some great examples of that last year. Um, there was the neighbour food movement. I don't know if you were yeah, familiar yeah, with we, that. Yeah, we
1: spoke to the... the out in Callum. That's Fantastic, right. yeah. yeah.
0: So, that was all over the country. So, a lot of food producers just kind of... Came together in different counties, and different areas of counties, and uh, gathered their food together, and um, it was kind of a click and collect type thing. So they, they um, and they came up with great ways of selling, of, of finding new ways of selling products. Like I remember, the, earlier this year, we were up in County Louth with an asparagus grower, and. Um, a lot of her products would have gone to restaurants, so she had to find a new way of, of selling her products and not just fresh asparagus. So, I mean, they were coming up with new recipes and new products and products that have never like asparagus scape sauce. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before, John. No, but I, 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 I was
1: kind of thinking. I was wondering how there'd be enough people eating asparagus <laughs> yeah, in the whole country to sustain you go, a livelihood. There you go.
0: So, um, yeah, an awful lot of. Um, new and exciting food products came about because of it. So, as regards uh, my job and farmers' jobs, not much changed last year. We were very mindful of positive stories and good news stories and kind of um, finding uh, I suppose, new ways of tackling adversity. So we tried to do that last year. We'll be doing a bit of that this year as well. Um, and uh, so, no, we, we were very lucky. People had to stay eating uh, during COVID. And I think hopefully it's something that will continue on, the emphasis on supporting lo- local food producers and spending a little bit more of your money on food. Mm.
1: And for people who aren't members of the farming community like myself, I think sometimes there is a bit of a, a simplistic notion of of the farming community and agri business, but it is an amazingly innovative and constantly changing and developing area, and technology is hugely at the forefront of that as well. It must be a great privilege for you to see so many great businesses all over the country.
0: It really is, like from the kind of the giants in the industry, like the Beers and, and the Kerry Golds to the kind of small farm gate um, Mm. enterprises and as well as that I think the one time we started to realise the value of the agri business and the agri food business to the Irish economy was when the crash happened because property wasn't you know doing well and, and the banking sector all these sectors were kind of collapsing And we realised how important to our economy agri, the agri business and agri food um, business was, and like even as regards the number of people it employs, um, the number of kind of knock on benefits to other industries. Um, So uh, no, it 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 is. um, I suppose there's a kind of a sentimental attachment in one way among the Irish people because you don't have to go back too far. We're all connected to a farm, you know. You don't have to go back too many generations to connect us all to it. But now, if we look at the scale of the business and how important we are. Are on the international stage let alone the national stage mm. um, it is it's a privilege to be working covering it now there are new challenges obviously
1: sustainability, sustainability being a huge one. Yeah, yeah and
0: farming is getting a bit of a hammering at the moment um, and I think everybody recognises that things have to change and the emphasis on sustainability and the carbon footprint of the food we eat and I think farmers are more mindful of it and do you think the there's good
1: engagement on it really it's not been just kind of swept under the carpet well there is and there reason, it has it to, to be yeah. I,
0: mean, I mean there has to be we're waiting for our new um, kind of climate budget uh, to come out it was meant to come out during the summer, it might be at the end of September so it's not even a case of um, will people engage they have to engage now it's obviously not just the farming and the agri-industry that are responsible for Ireland's carbon footprint but I think what we forget sometimes is that that it's something that consumers and and people who aren't farming, people who eat food need to play a role as well Um, and Sometimes it costs more money to reduce the carbon footprint of the food we're eating, just like it costs more money to produce organic food. Mm. And customers and consumers are, in some cases, willing to pay a little bit more, a bit of a premium for organic food. And I reckon it's going to be that way pretty soon with um, carbon-neutral, carbon-friendly food. Uh, So the consumer does have to play a part in it. Mm. And I mean, we spend such a small amount of our weekly budget on food compared to what we did when when I was growing up. So while people's take-home pay has increased an awful lot over the past few decades, the percentage of that that we spend on our weekly food shop has gone way down. Mm.
1: Now amazing, um, you know, to hark back to you you mentioned about driving out of Kilkenny and having to produce a letter to a guard to show that you were justified in going beyond that. Thankfully we are moving beyond that and, and stuff is starting to happen again. You were at the Arnua (coughs) excuse me a National Dairy Council Quality Milk Awards um, during the week. Great to see stuff starting to happen again.
0: It was the last time I did that was two years ago, um, and they had the event um, this uh, week in uh, Moor Park, the Moor Park Open Day, which turned into the Moor Park Open three days because they had to um, dilute the number of people let in. So that's kind of celebrating um, the best of dairy farming um, in the country. And three judges travelled around the country, visited dairy farms. Assess them everything kind of um, how they farm the milk they produce with a huge emphasis on the sustainability um, of the enterprises they visited and there were twelve national finalists and one winner, which was the McCarthy family farm in in Limerick so um, it was great there was a real sense of celebration. People were dressed up, somebody else was cooking their breakfast for them, they got to meet each other again. Um, but you really do see and we see it all the time when we visit farms the pride that dairy farmers take in their enterprise the care they have for their animals um, and um, I think most farmers now are very mindful of the fact that the way they farm has to change. The way they farm is changing, but the way they farm has to change a little bit more. Um, I mean, we are hearing ridiculous stories about uh, potty training cows. I don't know if you heard that story no. during the week. <laughs> uh, there was some research going on. If you can potty, potty train, train a two-year-old, yeah. you can potty train a cow, apparently. Um, as some ways... I'm uh, sure there's a
1: grant going for that start <laughs> I'm up. I'm sure
0: there is. <laughs> um, so, I mean, they're mindful of the fact that, yet yeah, things have to change. But it, w- it was great and it was the highlight of that for me um, was I got to meet um, Kelly Harrington
1: Wow fantastic Olympic gold medalist was down
0: and it struck me I suppose as well how healthy the food it produces because she spoke to the farmers and the first thing she said was on behalf of athletes all over the country she thanked them for the quality of the food they produce Um, I mean dairy products are extremely high in protein really important for athletes Um, and you're probably better off drinking a pint of milk than kind of popping uh, tablets Yeah. um, so uh, no it, 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 there was a sense of celebration there was a sense of things starting to get back to normal but there was very much a sense of farming has changed and needs to continue to change
1: yeah now I suppose the week that's in it normally uh, on a Saturday we'd be dusting ourselves down or maybe scrubbing mud off our boots depending on the on the weather dusty or muddy but the fr- uh, the ploughing would be on it was on in Ratanisca this year but like drastically uh, curtailed um, how much of a hole is that left in the in the Farming business community in terms of you know it's just they can't meet each other. The no, way they, they used can't because yeah.
0: normally um, I think the last time it was on proper in Carlo um, and uh, I was down there in Carlo. I think a hundred thousand a day went through the gates. It and was now phenomenal. It's, yeah, it's a thousand a day yeah. um, just to watch the ploughing. Um, it's a huge blow. I mean, socially, it's it's. it was just compared to the electric picnic for farmers. It's bigger than that. It's oh. it's it's just absolutely huge. Um, and it's it's a day out. It's a chance to meet people. It's a chance to kick a few tyres and um, buy an O'Neill's oh, jersey yeah, and, yeah. And, and things like and that. And get free stuff. And get loads of free stuff. Um, so it is a huge blow. And it's a huge blow to the economy. Um, I only kind of, I suppose, the, the plowing championships were saying um, it's worth something like fifty million to the local economy on a normal year I it's would on. Say, yeah. um, and let alone the fact that all the local schools are closed.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so it is a big blow to from, from local petrol stations to people selling um, you know, breakfast rolls, uh, hotels, B and Bs um, it's it's a massive blow to the economy and um, hopefully uh, we'll have something um, resembling a normal ploughing chip in Girathiniska again um, next year.
1: Because it's a unique, uh, looking back at it, it's a unique hybrid of an event and I don't think there's anything really similar to it no. anywhere else. No, and it's an amazing business like event.
0: There's nothing like it um, anywhere else. The scale um, that it is, and it just gets bigger every year. Every year you're down there and you're kind of thinking, Oh, you know, it's never going How to be, be like bigger, this again. Yeah. And it just keeps getting bigger. It's like a military operation. It's incredibly well organised. It's incredibly well run, um, and um, yeah, it's 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 big business. New products are launched down there every year. There's kind of innovation um, and uh, competitions. Um, and uh, so, know the social side of it, the business side of it. Um, it's it's a big blow that it's gone, and hopefully it'll be it'll be back next year.
1: But I get the sense from you that there are challenges, you know, sustainability, the environment, the COVID, and so on. But you're quite optimistic, and there's good, great resilience um, that you can see around there from your there's travels brilliant and trips. resilience.
0: And and like this year now, we're back on air the end of October, but we always try and film stories during the summer because unfortunately, when we're on air, uh, animals are in, the weather is awful, the pictures don't look as nice, so we try to film during the summer. But um, there is fantastic innovation and farmers are very practical as well. There's an issue with a lot of farmers now, I suppose with when quotas went uh, farmers were encouraged to produce more milk and they're producing more milk um, and there's problems I suppose we're seeing it down um, in various parts of the country including this part of the country in that Glanbia had hoped to build this new cheese plant um, in Vel- Bellevue and it's been appealed by Antashka but farmers geared themselves up and had extra milk to supply this cheese plant and they need to find somewhere else to to put it. Um, There's uh, peak milk, I suppose. There's times the year when there's more milk produced. So farmers are conscious of that and farmers are also conscious of the fact that a lot of them are maybe dependent on just supplying one co-op, one creamery and they'd like to have their eggs in more than one basket. So great examples of it. When we were in Offaly earlier this year and we met this young farmer um, who loves tech and um, uh, is always kind of researching new ways of doing things. But he's keeping some of his milk for himself. He's bought a pasteurising machine and a dispensing machine so you can rock up to his farm at Lockborough and Offaly and uh, bring your own glass bottle. And there's a vending machine selling his own fresh milk. You can get chocolate-flavoured milk, strawberry-flavoured milk, bubblegum-flavoured milk, as well as ordinary milk. And the queues were out the door. Totally. Yeah, so another farmer we met then who supplies one of the major creamers has also decided to sell some of his milk to a couple from Jordan who are making Irish-made halloumi cheese. So, I mean, there's fantastic examples of um, that dreaded word pivoting. Pivoting. Finding uh, new things to do with, with
1: surplus product yeah. and they're, they're doing it. Well, listen, Helen, it's fantastic to talk to you and thanks for uh, sharing your insights on all that's good and that's going on uh, with the farming and agribusiness uh, community and thanks for coming in. A welcome. Thank you very much. At
2: the heart of it all. At the heart of it all. Casey.
1: At the heart of it all indeed you're listening to The Bottom Line the programme for and about business on KCLR I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock now before the break I spoke to Helen Carl about the importance of agribusiness and the rural community now Ireland's music industry is a huge part also of Ireland's social and cultural life but it's also a very important part of Ireland's economy with literally tens of thousands of people making their livelihoods from music and performance but it's been a turret, and indeed horrid 18 months, particularly on the live music front with singers, songwriters and performers, venues and everyone involved in performance suffering what's been an unprecedented period of inactivity due to the COVID lockdown. So during the week, as part of an initiative, uh, we're taking part in with the IBI, the Independent Broadcasters of Ireland, KCLR, along with Hot Press, the Irish Music Industry Bible, has been delighted to announce details of Irish Music Month. Joining me on the line to discuss this and where the Irish Music Industry is currently at is Niall Stokes, editor of Hot Press. Good morning, Niall. Good morning, John. How are you? It's been a a torrid 18 months. You've seen ups and downs uh, since hot press burst on the scene in, in the mid to late 70s, but nothing like this.
2: No, it has been absolutely uh, devastating for music and for musicians in Ireland. I mean to be uh, told just at the, at, 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 at the click of uh, someone 's fingers that it is uh, your, your your job uh, is 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 impossible to do um, you can 't go out and do the work that you 've done for two three five ten whatever number of years um is, is is a a, a really uh, emotionally uh and of course financially damaging uh, experience and musicians have been through that um and they have genuinely suffered i mean it, it, it of course they lost income and you know, there other words government supports in place that might mitigate that to some degree um but uh, apart from losing income they lost. Uh, the thing that they value most, which is contact with audiences, is going out and playing live shows in, 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 in venues all over Ireland. And I think it's worth saying that at the moment there is a, a hugely uh, creative uh, industry here with uh, uh, thousands of really bright uh, musicians at every stage of their, their, their careers. Mm. Uh, Writing great songs, making great sounds uh, and creating great music.
1: Yeah, Michael D. Higgins uh, at the launch of Irish Music Month during the week, our president, Michael D. Higgins, I thought really put it well about the, you know, bit of rebellion in music, bit of, you know, questioning things. It's a really important role in society.
2: That is, I mean, the, the 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 job of a songwriter is, and uh, or, or a musician, is to pick up on those things that really matter to people, and to express them in a way that resonates, uh, and 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 that will continue to resonate. I mean, I just heard uh, "Dancing in the Moonlight" uh, by Tim Lizzy, and I'm out there, mm. you know. And immediately you hear those opening bars, you know it, and that goes back to 1975 uh, or six, um, and. You know, music has that power, and it expresses things about our world and about our lives and about our experiences. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's hugely important now that uh, people, uh, you know, they 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 understand mm. the role of, of uh, cultural creators, of musicians, and so on. And you know, I think it is it is something that happened. During the pandemic, I mean everything about the pandemic was oh, a nightmare, you know.
3: Mm, yeah. But
2: but at the same time, it did uh, get people to think a little bit um, more uh, clearly and, and and sometimes more deeply about uh, our place in the world. And and one of the things that it's done, I think, is that it's helped people to uh, recognize the importance of what's local. Yeah, on yeah. The coast um and and no matter where you go in ireland now uh you know there's a there's a a brilliant crop of musicians coming through i mean one of the most striking things for me looking at the way in which irish music has developed since hot press was launched uh, is that you now get great music scenes all over the country in every town around the country yeah. you know and uh, i mean i mean you thinking Kilkenny at the moment i mean, i remember dave prim and ingenality and
1: yeah, of be good and, to
2: him. Dog and all of those guys but you've got more recently guys like rsag um, and over in Carlos, was you know it was Sonny condell and Asia days and people like that but right now i think about the comerford or robert grace and and or rory godson people are coming through in Kilkenny who are people of real international uh, potential. Absolutely and
1: And radio has a unique role to play in that and that's where I think um, uh, Irish Music Month will hopefully take fire between stations like ourselves and yourselves in Hot Press with the support of others.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's 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 right. I mean, you know, why do you remember the the, 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 the opening riff of Dancing in the Moonlight or brewing, brewing up a storm or you know Anya's Aranoko Flow because you heard it often enough on the radio? And and so radio does have that power. It is a primary uh, platform for uh, people to connect with uh, music, and music uh, then it connects with something deeper inside people. It doesn't, uh, you know, you can't talk about it always in rational terms, but it hits people and takes people, captures people. Imagination. Um, so, you know, it this local aspect of it is very important, and it's one of the reasons you know we were kind of conscious thinking about. Uh, you know, who might be good partners in this. And obviously it began with with, with the conversation with the IBI and, 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 and I must admit that the, the support from, uh, you know, radio stations all over the country have been fantastic. I mean, it is the biggest ever initiative, uh, programming initiative uh, between independent stations with 25 independent stations on board. Um, but we also uh, chose a partner well in the XL retail group uh, who it's an umbrella for local uh, stores around the country. Mm. And, and and it has that same spirit of independence about it. Um, so you know the whole emphasis here now is on look to what's local, support uh, what's Irish, and uh, in you know in that's the Irish old Irish spirit of metal.
1: Mm. Uh, I think. And there's a real opportunity in that, Niall, You know we are talking about how horrible and everything has been horrible, but local has really been people are seeing the value of it, and and so there's a real opportunity for musicians and also radio stations and the media in general because it's been a tough time anyway because pre-Covid you've all this Spotify and the difficulty in getting paid royalties and all that kind of stuff too and the the often disruptive uh, role of social media and so on
2: yeah, I, it, I, it's a it's a very complicated world at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. And, and 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 the truth is that uh, if you allow yourself to get sucked into the negative aspects of all of that, uh, it's a, it's a it's a downward spiral. So, yeah. uh, no, that the impact of COVID was 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 devastating in publishing and media as well. I mean, you yeah. know that, and in, 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 in Europe. Uh, business and, and uh, you know, in, 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 in Hot Press, we, we published one issue of Hot Press without a single paid ad, yeah, and that wow. had never happened in the history of the magazine. And, and the point was that everything that we were, you know, involved in had completely stopped yeah. and uh you know and, and and people were hedging their bets and, and 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 getting people to spend money was difficult and you know in the same way um you know we published best of ireland of course and that focused on the hospitality industry and hotels and restaurants and uh, attractions and so on they were all closed so we couldn't publish and and, and uh so it, the, the impact on 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 media has been huge and 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 of course we've then had to, had to do our own uh, you know pivoting pivoting uh, yeah um, so you know, we're, we're, we're currently working on, on uh, a book about the Granbury's, Of course, one of the great Irish music uh, success stories out of Limerick. You know, Dorothy was from County Limerick, so yeah, we're talking yeah. local again. And uh, you know, it, 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 it's 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 going to be a very beautiful book with a limited edition of, of a thousand, a, a, a large format book um, and uh, it's all uh, pre-order so people have to go on and, and, and make the purchase in advance but uh, this is, you know, uh, let's say the legacy of Irish music is huge, there are great stories to tell about that um, but also we need to continue to inspire new talent to come through if we want to be able to to listen to the songs from you know seventy six or whatever, dancing in the moonlight, yeah. and and uh, you know in, in 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 almost fifty years' time to be listening uh, to whether it's Andy Comford from Cillikeny or it's it's, it's uh, you know the. Uh, it, New artists coming through in Dublin, Galway, like Limerick, Cork, whatever. Um, We we need to support and encourage those artists. So that's the 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 purpose of Irish Irish Music Month, is to to, uh, you know do Bring that from that connection yeah, yeah, uh, yeah to the to the, uh, to the uh,
1: front well look Niall, it's been great working with you so far on it and we're really looking forward to this it's going to happen throughout uh, October but people can get their uh, songs in now for the uh, new local hero aspect of it but we'll be talking lots more on it but for the moment thank you very much for joining us this morning on the bottom line thank thanks for reading John okay thanks that's uh, Niall Stokes uh, editor of Hot Press they're telling us about Irish Music Month which is a teaming up between stations like Casey Law indeed 25 of us around the country with the uh, Hot Press and also with the BAI the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland Sound and Vision Scheme and XL uh, your local stores so stay tuned for lots more about all of that you're listening to The Bottom Line we're back just after these
0: (laughs) The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business www.omf.ie
1: An Ormond School of Motoring was established 32 years ago and in that time has literally put thousands of drivers of cars, trucks and buses through their paces and their driving tests and earlier in the week I caught up with Brian Butler of Ormond School of Motoring and I started our chat by asking him how business is now that many of the most stringent covid restrictions have been lifted
3: Great, John. Uh, we can we can report that uh, things have never been as good. Um, it's, qu- it's very busy because you had lockdown, so there is a certain amount of backlog there on the smaller vehicles, meaning the cars, mm. and you have a lot of young people there that are in situations where really they're under pressure to get a car licence because they may, be, they may have taken up a job uh, outside of, of the city and they need to get the transport to get there. So for that reason alone, you're going to have a hell of a lot of people that have applied, and there's a backlog, as I said, in the car license at
1: the moment. Mm. Um, you know, it's become a happen- lot more um, regulated and uh, more involved. I actually did uh, my driving test following being tutored by your father, um, and I got it. I will say, but at that stage, yes. it, w- it was it wasn't it wasn't as structured, but it's very structured now with theory tests and numbers of uh, lessons. Uh, yeah and all that yeah, kind of stuff.
3: Yeah, t- things, have, look, things have moved on in everything in society and driving training is no different. It was an area that was left um, where there was not a, a lot of regulation uh, and uh, the RSA stroked the Department of Environment before uh, took it on a board to regulate the whole industry. Uh, so therefore, uh, any person, if you're sending your son or daughter for driving lessons are going to be with what they call an approved driving instructor. Hmm. So that's someone basically that is of a standard, or a set standard, that's approved by the RSA which is the overall governing body uh, for, for driver training and that person would have gone through three stages of an exam which would be theory uh, their own ad- ability at driving and then uh, instruction ability and uh, from there then uh, that's where you have what they call an ADI instructor.
1: Yeah now yeah. Um, talking over on this programme over the months something that's come up a lot is the supply chain and the delivery of goods and the disruption of brexit and last yeah. week we just mentioned about the shortage of of truck drivers in the uk but there's a bit of a shortage looming in ireland as well talk to us about the whole role of truck drivers the scarcity of getting them and and how you actually go about training them
3: yeah well look uh, look i'll just talk from my own experience first of all uh you have a situation where i suppose john uh, we need to watch and um, people need to watch what's happening in the UK because unlike uh, other places you have a scenario where uh, if there's what's happening in England isn't far away from what's going to happen here and there's there it's been put out there in the media at the moment that even for Christmas time the, 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 the amount of goods that may be on the shelves may not be there uh, because of this supply chain and it's starting I suppose with the fact that I suppose trying uh, Transport industry are finding it difficult to find drivers and you say well why is that you have to look at maybe rates and payments and it's a, a vicious circle it starts at the top the transport industry has to get paid for for delivering the goods they have to get uh, a, 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 a set figure to make it worthwhile and then they in turn then have to employ staff to be able to deliver that service. So I suppose really listening to the feedback from drivers in England, they are questioning maybe the rates that are paid to drivers. Mm. And uh, the, the English system has gone through where the English driver is backing down from driving. And they have got in non-nationals then from different countries who in turn then have gone back to their own their own country uh, f- for different reasons, or feeling that maybe they are been taken advantage of and now they're left in a situation where there is a shortage of drivers so it's 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 really down to I suppose you could say the finances of of, of what the haulier has been paid and what he can pay the driver to drive the truck in the first place.
1: Yeah now a couple of months ago we spoke to the chief executive of DPD in Ireland on the programme and they've taken on like literally hundreds of new drivers. Have you seen a kind of change in the, in the amount and the type of people that are coming to you for um, driver training? And if so, is there anything behind it?
3: Yeah, well, look, uh, I mean, look, look, as I said, you know, during COVID, you you had this situation, John, where I suppose people uh, were forced into stopping and ourselves included, but you, you got people from different industries and they start to reflect on, on what they wanted to do going forward. And I suppose uh, some of these people may have been working uh, jobs where it was anti-social hours, and maybe they wanted to have more structure to their to their, their everyday living, and they may have wanted to have their time off at night time. So the transport industry is crying out, as you said, for, for people, and uh, some people have seized that opportunity and come to the Arbor School of Motoring and have upgraded their licenses from a car onto a rigid truck and also onto coach driving.
1: Yeah, and how long would that journey typically take from a, a car driver to a, a truck driver qualified?
3: Well, well, I would say, John, look, in a, if a person had a car licence uh, with proper structured driving licence off with the almost of school, motor, you could be looking at somewhere between 8 to 12 weeks. A person could actually obtain a category C rigid truck licence and uh, with a proper structure of lessons uh, uh, that that would be attainable now normally we would say to someone look go away and get some experience with the category C rigid truck and then get yourself some seat time behind the wheel and from there then uh, you could upgrade to the HGV articulated truck and again um, i suppose uh, usually the 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 financial repayment uh, What would you say the financial benefits is you may be on a maybe a stronger wage as you upgrade your licence as well. Yeah. the coach industry again you'll find the coach operators there's never enough coach uh, coach drivers out there but you have a vast majority you have a vast range I should say of of coach type of jobs from small uh, light uh, buses where you have special needs children that need to be brought to school right up to the coaches that are delivering the, the big services to the airports and further afield yeah. yeah
1: now um, I know from talking to you Brian you're passionate about your business it's a family yeah. business your your father yeah. st- started but I know from talking to you as well that you too Ireland's own you too uh, beautiful day I will follow etc they've had a big influence on your business philosophy just tell us about that very briefly if you would oh
3: well well yeah john yeah like yourself a big music fan but i kind of look i have looked at you too and admired them from a distance for a lot of years and i just believe that they had a great belief in where they wanted to get, and that's the same belief that I I, I was brought up on when we started this business back in my dad did in 1978, and uh, we had a had an idea, and we we were passionate about it, and uh, I feel like uh, we we have in a smaller version got to the same level as you two as we are now, and we have the, the business has grown over the years, and as I said, we do everything from the cars right up to the heavy trucks hmm. and everything in between. But it's just, like I'd say, look, we have a, we have a, we excuse the pun, we have a drive about what we do. Yeah. As I said, we're passionate and you too had the same vision that maybe they didn't necessarily know exactly where it was all going to end. But they had that goal that they wanted to achieve, and we have the same goal between all of us that are working in the in the school of motoring. We have the same uh, belief, and that we want to get to to the, we want to just hit the pinnacle. And you know, we're, we strive for that every day.
1: Well, Brian, pleasure talking to you, and best of luck to everybody in Ormond School of Motoring.
3: Thank you very much, John.
1: That was uh, Brian Butler from Ormond School of Motoring talking about his uh, business, uh, which uh, has been going for quite a while and he's still as enthusiastic about it as ever. Now golf is a huge sport around the world and golf equipment is big business and in 2015 Dean Clash, an Australian living in Carlow, got together with a couple of his mates after a round of golf and decided to do something about the high price of golf balls. Uh, two years ago he was in with us uh, and so I thought with the Ryder Cup on next week it'd be a good idea to catch up with him again. So I started by asking him how his business journey has been going since last we spoke
4: you <laughs> Oh, g'day, John. Nice to nice to catch up again. Look, it's been uh, it's been a very interesting time. Obviously, uh, COVID and the lockdowns has been a challenge for a lot of businesses. Um, we've probably been fairly lucky to fall on the right side of that. I think uh, you know golf is going through a little bit of a boom at the moment. It's it's getting a lot of good press and there's been a bit of a push. I think to you know it's a socially distanced sport. And you can get back outdoors and uh, and it's good for your mental health and that type of thing. So so the game itself has gone through a bit of a boom and I think we've probably benefited. from being a bit of a, a new brand on the up and uh, being online and just selling direct to consumer. I think that part of the business world in general, um, you know, people are buying more products online now than they ever have, I think, and, and we've kind of benefited from that. So, so the whole, the last two years since we last spoke has been really good for us. We've, um, uh, we've doubled our sales each year for the last two years and it, it's, yeah, it's growing pretty nicely. I think we're in about 38 different countries now with, with, um, with seeds. so yeah, it's been going good.
1: Yeah, tell us a bit about the, the products that started the company you're, you're, um, you're, you have ambitious plans to develop but tell us about the seed of seed golf so to speak
4: Well yeah we, we started with the golf ball and re, really we started with that because um, traditionally the, the premium or the tour grade golf balls uh, tend to be very expensive they also tend to be the best ones to use if you're a golfer you'll find they'll be that best combination of maximum distance and feel and control around the greens but they tend to be quite expensive and if you're a, um, you know, a regular golfer like probably you and I are. Uh, we tend to lose a few out there, so it can get a little bit of expensive if you're if you're paying five, six, six euros or five, six pounds for a for a golf ball and losing three, four, five around. Yeah, I'm not so a
1: regular player, but I am a regular loser of balls <laughs> if I ever do play, which I haven't done in a long time. But I, I can see the importance of having cost-effective customer, John. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, yeah um, there's so a lot of technology it, it, involved.
4: There is, yeah, there is. Look, there's a lot of uh, chemical engineering, mechanical engineering. It's, it's, a, it's a quite a difficult product to put together. So we designed them all here at Carlo IT. We're still based out at the, the college there. It's been, they've been really good to us, actually. And, um, yeah, so we do all the design work there. And during the lockdown period, it was a really interesting time through that whole COVID thing when it first hit. Um, we weren't really sure what was going to happen or what we were going to do, but we took it as a time tried to look at it as a positive really and looked at it as a time where we could actually spend a bit of, um, bit of time working on the projects that we'd Sort of been talking about developing and working on for for a couple of years, probably since we last spoke, and actually finished them. So, we, we revamped the design, revamped the design on the golf balls during that period. We worked on some new golf bag designs. Uh, what else we could have done? There's a whole of heap of new products coming through. So, we just looked at it as a creative period and a time where you don't normally get in a startup business. You tend to be very focused on the day to day and tend to be a lot of bushfires you're trying to put out and that type of thing. So, it was an opportunity just to sort of step back and, and work on the good fun stuff you know
1: yeah and uh, when we last spoke you just announced uh, uh, Seed Golf as the official golf ball of the PGA Euro Pro Tour how did that go on? and how does something high profile like that feed into your sales growth
4: well look for us being a really young company we, we still are tied up with that tour we still be the official ball with them so that's been going for three years now I think um, and it's just great for, for validating the quality of the product so you'll hear me bang on a lot about you know we make um, tour performance or tour grade or performance performance golf balls. And it's just a way to, to reassure the consumers that that's what they actually are. So we don't actually sponsor any professionals directly. Um, that tends to add a little bit of cost to the the overall product. The, the consumer ends up paying for, I guess, paying for that promotion or that sponsorship. But with, with working with the tour over there in the, um, in the UK, the Euro, Euro Pro Tour, um, it just gives us an opportunity to have that professional support or that professional endorsement without having to physically spend you know, 20 million a year to get Rory to use the golf ball kind of thing. So, so that's that's that's, uh, that's kind of how that came about. It's been really good, actually
1: yeah um we're going to take a break now but uh, we'll be back to talk about your exciting plans uh, for developing uh, your company and a recent very successful uh, fundraising round that you did you're listening to the bottom line the program for and about business on kslr i'm john persil i'm talking to dean clatt who's the founder of seed golf who are a carlo based company of course very topical with the ryder cup 2021 uh teeing off i nearly said kicking off displaying my lack of knowledge about golf but teeing off next weekend don't go away
0: the bottom line on kclr with john purcell brought to you in association with the neil foley accountants our website onf.ie shows the full range of services we provide to businesses large and small
1: Okay, you're very welcome back. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on Casey Dean Clash, uh, the founder of Seed Golf, is with me. Uh, Dean, uh, you have ambitious plans to expand, but capital uh, is a, a part of that, and fundraising for is part of that. You engaged in, in crowdfunding. Tell us how that went for you. Yeah,
4: we did. Look, it was really successful. It was it was um, it was something we have been wanting to try for a while. You'll, uh, if, if you hear me speaking at all, you'll generally hear me banging on about we've got a really... Um, Strong base of, of uh, loyal, very loyal customers we've built up with Seed over the last two or three years. They really like what we're doing, and I guess the ultimate expression of that is, is, um, is sort of how loyal are they, or how much into the brand are they? You know, would those customers be interested in investing in the business? So we set up an equity crowdfunding campaign back in April of this year, and we actually uh, exceeded our funding goal within 48 hours of that launching. So yeah, it was, it's been it's been really good actually. It was um, really positive, and obviously the, the funding helps. Uh, with our expansion plan so we're just in the process of setting up a direct di- distribution facility in the UK and also in America um, to try and uh, you know better service those markets over there so so yeah it's all go at the moment, it's been good
1: Yeah and that was 250,000 euros of funding so that's a, a quite an achievement, did that far exceed your uh, timing expectations?
4: Yeah uh, it did to be honest yeah so we, we actually raised more than, 250 was the target I think we raised close to 400 so um, yeah that, that all happened really really quickly so it was, um, yeah it went better than expected, but that, yeah, uh, so as I said, that definitely helps with uh, the ability to, to be able to expand and keep moving forward so, so yeah, it's been good.
1: Yeah, and now um, we talked mainly about golf balls, you, you did refer to golf bags um, you have expanded the range and you're developing the brand, tell us about your expansion
4: Yeah, plans. we have, we've, we've released a, a new golf glove actually, which was released um, just later this year, it's a thing called the Full Irish, which has been designed to to cope with um, with the vagaries of Irish weather I guess, so you can it's, it's good in the dry, it's good in the wet, it's good in the rain in the cold um, and that's that's been quite uh, well received as well we've got a new range of golf, balls, uh, golf bags coming out um, what we tried to do with those was we actually use a, um, a recycled uh, yarn for the material for the bag so each bag has 27 single use um, plastic water bottles that have been recycled to make the yarn for one of those golf bags so um, they're waterproof but you know it still has a bit of a sustainability aspect to it by taking some of that um, waste material out of the environment so yeah anything like that we're kind of interested in and we'll no doubt continue to keep uh
1: developing new products as we go along but so far the, the new products have been well received uh dean clatt there uh the founder of seed golf uh telling us about the latest product developed by that innovative carlo based company and you can check out that product and indeed any products uh, available from seed golf from uh, by checking out www.seedgolf.com that's seedgolf.com great to hear uh, the Aussie accent of a man who has settled in Carlo and is driving his business from there and is making strides around the world that's about all we've got time for this week on the bottom line thanks very much for joining us I do hope you've enjoyed what you've heard we'll be back next week just after nine remember if you have any comments or ideas you'd like to get to us you can email us at the bottom line at kclor96fm.com or if you'd like to listen back to this show or any episode of The Bottom Line check out the podcasts on the KCLor app and you'll find a big selection of stuff there, over 100 different podcasts there for you now. Thanks to all our guests this week Helen Carroll, Niall Stokes, Brian Butler and Dean Clash. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show. Thanks to you for listening. Edward Hayden up next. I'm looking forward to speaking to you again next week. Until then, do take care Keep the faith and keep in touch with one another, but also keep your distance. Covid hasn't gone away, you know.
0: The bottom line on KCLR with John Purcell, brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. Our website ONF.ie shows the full range of services we provide to businesses, large and small.